98.7 FM. Time for some action. 98.7 FM. Arizona's sports station. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Then I'll begin. Okay. Here we go. Arizona sports goes local. Local. That is awesome. We're giving the mic to local hosts right here in Phoenix. Whoa, snap. Because what's a Saturday without sports? Uh, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station, Arizona Sports Saturday. Happy Saturday to all of you listening across the valley, across the country. I got to give some credit because my mom's in Albuquerque. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. We are live from the Auction Community Studios. Mitch Ferreldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass, keeping you company for the next two hours. And just want to get this out of the way now. Because we got a whole bunch of new equipment in the studios here. They renovated it. This is awesome. I love this new equipment. Yeah. I love it. They renovated it just for you and me, uh, specifically, (laughs) is what I was told. We we tipped off the engineer like, hey, we want to make our show sound really, really nice. Can you get us some new stuff? That would be really appreciated. Yeah. I'm glad. Well, and, and how impressive was it that, I mean, we didn't skip a beat. I mean, you and I were in here last week, and then we're here again this week, and so no time at all, it felt like. And, like, here's the thing. You and I don't make the kind of money that DeAndre Ayton is making, so we have to request these things from the company. The company has to take care of us well, while we're still here. Speak for yourself, Mitch. Well, I'm just trying to segue into our top story of the day, because in case you didn't hear, DeAndre Ayton got paid four years $133 million. Now, this was an offer sheet from the Indiana Pacers, and the Suns matched it, kid you not, three minutes later. Supposedly the biggest offer sheet in NBA history. Yes. For DeAndre Ayton. Not the guy that I would have suspected would get the biggest of all time, but hey, I, I, I get the process, right? Okay, how about this? Do you know who the last person was to get a max offer sheet in a restricted free agency? Uh, That's a good question. No, I don't. Is the name Otto Porter Jr. ring a bell? Otto Porter Jr. got Otto that? Otto Porter Jr. Where is he now? Golden, well, he's actually not he in Golden, Golden State. State anymore. I don't remember where he signed with, actually. Okay. But he has a new team. Just recently a champion with the Golden he's State Warriors. He's the one that looks exactly like Wilt Chamberlain. Yes. Right? Yes. Stat Muse liked to make that joke a lot this year. No, like he, he looks like exactly like Wilt Chamberlain. Spitting image. Except not like seven feet tall. No. Pretty close, but not seven feet tall. No, he's got to grow his legs out a bit. So, wow. I didn't an, realize he got that much. Exactly. It's a lot of money. The Pacers made a true sacrifice. I want to get that out of the way now. The Pacers made a true sacrifice to try and make this work, and it didn't. It took not three minutes. Really. They didn't really sacrifice anything. They, they dropped a couple of guys who probably weren't going to make the team anyway. They traded away key assets. They stretched the players. They waved a rotational piece. I What I key asset did they trade? Malcolm Brogdon. I guess. But was that done with the intent of getting DeAndre Ayton? I think they were going to move him anyway. anyway? It's a big piece to get out of the way if you're going to sign a dude to 33 a year. I guess. So Okay, uh, that's fair. I'll give you that one. We'll get the nuts and bolts out of the way because this story has been out there for at least two days now. But in reality, there's one thing that we don't know, and that is how DeAndre Ayton reacted to all of this. Yeah, how should he feel today? Quite frankly, if I'm looking at it, I got the money I was looking for. Right. So that's a plus. 
I get to be on the team that was the best in the NBA during the regular season last year. It's another plus. But there's one major drawback to this whole thing, and that was the tension of not getting it originally from that team in the first place. And that it carried for a full year. The fact that he was brushing it under the rug, he just went out there and did his job. And then it all came to a head in Game 7 of the Western Conference Semifinals when he got benched and supposedly spat with his head coach. Yeah, he only played 17 minutes. Listen, I'll I'll preface this conversation with this. DeAndre Ayton's had an interesting contract situation for the last year because last year, last summer, they decided not to give him the max that the Suns could offer. They decided not to do that, basically flat out told everyone, we don't think he's worth that. Right. And he handled it perfectly. Now, granted, there was the suspension. I'm not saying it's perfect, perfect. But in terms of the contract dispute, he could have come in and said, I don't want to be here, like Eric Bledsoe. He could have come back and been a pain in our butt, like one of the Morris twins, both of the Morris twins. Right. Uh, He could have come in and he could have put out, he could have had his agent put out a a long letter that's in all caps. (laughs) Sound familiar? He didn't do anything that the other number one overall pick did here. He could have whined and complained for the last year that he wasn't paid what he thought he deserved. He didn't do that. He showed up after the suspension, showed up and played and got better, much better, and then goes into this offseason and basically looks at the Suns and say, "Okay, balls in your court. I got better. I did my part. I played for this team. And by all accounts, they had great team chemistry. The the players love D.A. I think the fans widely before this offseason love D.A., I think they still do. He handled it perfectly. But here's the sticking point this offseason. Okay. And actually, it goes back to the trade deadline. They tried. It's been reported by John Gambadoro that they tried. They discussed a trade of DeAndre Ayton for Sabonis, who at the time would have been in Indiana. Right. Interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. So Indiana had this desire to bring in Ayton before this offer sheet. And you know, if you're Aiton going into this offseason, you know your team was shopping you around the league. Yes. How are you supposed to feel about that? Because, yeah, you got your money, but only you only got that money from the Suns because they were forced to give you that money because Indiana wanted to give you that money. And they didn't want to let you walk for nothing. This is such a weird position because... On one side of it, it looks like the Suns really, really wanted Aiton because of how fast, or I should say how quickly, they matched the offer sheet that Indiana put out there. It was like three minutes. You're thinking, oh, the Suns actually really do want DeAndre Aiton. However, the caveat is, is if they really wanted DeAndre Aiton, they should have been the team that initially put the offer out there, right? Like, why were the Suns waiting for some other team to do their bidding? I think they were trying to keep their options open as long as they possibly could. And it, it's kind of a roller coaster of emotions if I'm trying to put myself in DA's shoes. Because on the one hand, you're like, I got my money. Like you said, Mitch, I got my money. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, my team tried, tried to trade me. Maybe they don't like me. Oh, but I do get to come back and play for the Suns, and I like all these guys. Oh, but uh, they did try to trade me at the trade deadline. Look, and he just needs to know. make his list of pros and cons. He needs to put the delta on one side. He needs to put the check mark on the other. He needs to split the line down the middle. He needs to make the list. Also, there's the, the blow up with Monty Williams that you mentioned. Yes. Was that, and I tried to ask James Jones about this. Uh, it would have been the Wednesday following the Game 7. Yes. Uh, we were on the Burns and Gambo show, and he came on, and I asked him about that blow-up, about the incident that happened, and would that affect 
their decision to bring back DeAndre Ayton or not. And he said, no. He said, DeAndre Ayton is a key piece of what we do here, and we hope to bring him back. I'm I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what they said. He made it seem like that ordeal in Game 7 was not a big deal. And I'm hoping that they're right. I'm hoping he was telling the truth there. Because right now, you got to bring back DA for at least six months, and he's got a no-trade clause, essentially, for the next year. To your point, James Jones has also kept that narrative all offseason. Never once has he wavered from the idea that they do not that they do want DeAndre Ayton. He's never once left that stance. But again, as we mentioned enough times in this segment, the spat with Monty Williams was well noticed by a lot of people around the league, a lot of people locally. Adrian Wojnarowski yesterday even made it a point that there needs to be some mending between these two. This process does create acrimony, and certainly uh, it was felt in Phoenix, I think Mm. especially at the end of last season, uh, by DeAndre Ayton. And now when you match the offer sheet, you get DeAndre Ayton back. Now there's some mending that has to go on, and I think uh, think especially Monty Williams, Chris Paul, the leadership of that Suns team, listen, they're uniquely – uh, able to go and do that. Monty Williams has had a very strong relationship overall with DeAndre Ayton, but it gets tested in this process. And I like what Woj said about the leadership point there. Remember Bobby Marks said the same thing with us last week when I asked him if this becomes a super team with Kevin Durant, how do they avoid becoming, you know, the, the result <laughs> of all the super teams that just collapse and stumble and fall? Leadership. You have to imagine that Monty Williams is feeling some bit of I don't want to say regret I'm trying to think of the right word here but you have to think he has some sort of feelings towards the situation towards how the how the two of them handled the situation at the end of the year and what was it the, the day afterwards there was a span of several hours where Aiton could have said something to Monty or Monty could have said something to Aiton and the two had not spoken to one another at all has that carried on through this offseason because this has that needs to get fixed right away because now you're guaranteed to have this dude in Phoenix for at least half of the season. And if there's still tension between the head coach and the starting center, it's not going to start well. Well, here's the thing, too, is we don't know that any of these things have created tension between the Suns and Aiton. We don't know that there's a rift or a chasm between the two sides. We don't know that. We assume that based on what happened in Game 7 with Aiton, what happened with them trying to look for a trade to get him out of town, but they never once said, we are trying to trade Aiton. We are going to trade Aiton. They just were looking at all their possible options. And in the end, the smartest thing they could have done was sign the offer sheet like that in three minutes. They weren't because that sends walk. a message to Aiton. Well, aside from not letting him walk, you're sending a message to Aiton with how long you take to sign that deal. Right. If you take the full, I mean, you you and I are sitting here right now. It's eleven uh, fifteen ish on a Saturday. They got the offer sheet Thursday. They could have waited until now. They could have waited till tonight. The breaking news could have to come sign today. That. But instead, three minutes. They did it just like that. And that sends a message to DeAndre Ayton, a good one, I think, that, hey, we wanted you here all along. We just were looking at our options, and Indiana gave us no choice. Coming up next, it's the one reason why Robert Sarver might be willing to go deep into the luxury tax for Kevin Durant. But it has nothing to do with the on-court product. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. (laughs) 
98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. It is Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis taking you up to... How long are we on, Mitch? One o'clock? One o'clock. One o'clock. There's no shortening like there was last week. Yeah, we got preempted by the Diamondbacks last week. Um, coming up on the All-Star break. By the way, uh, later on in the show, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, some huge news in the baseball world lately, so we'll get into that a little bit later on. Oh, it's huge. All right. I think... Obviously, the top two stories in Arizona sports in the last couple of weeks have been DeAndre Ayton and what was going to happen with his restricted free agency. Obviously, on Thursday, he got an offer sheet from the Indiana Pacers, the biggest one in NBA history, mm-hmm. and the Suns signed it in about 0.3 seconds. Mm-hmm. So he's back. The other story that everyone's talking about, and I've been hearing about this since the moment that I left the Footprint Center after Game 7 and that debacle. Okay. The first thing I hear is there's a guy on the street corner. I do not know this guy. He looks at me and he goes, how are we going to get Kevin Durant? He goes, that would make us better. I'm like, no kidding, Captain Obvious. This is after Game 7? This is right after Game 7. One guy says to me on the street, I'm walking to my car, and one guy says, do you think we could trade Chris Paul for Damian Lillard? And then another guy was like, I want Kevin Durant. I'm like, we just left game seven. I mean, I I feel bad, too. We just lost by like 45 points or whatever it was. It was like 30-something. I'm like, yeah, it sucks. We just lost. I don't feel good either. But we don't need to start trading every single thing we have and start doing video game trades for Damian Lillard. Or do we? But let's be honest. A week later, or just a couple weeks later, two, three weeks later, we learned that Kevin Durant, not only does he want out of Brooklyn, he wants to come to Phoenix. Very much so. And so the most surprising thing that I heard, because in light of the DeAndre Ayton news on Thursday, he's back. He cannot be traded for six months, and even then he has the ability to deny a trade. He's not going anywhere. For a year. So DeAndre Ayton is here. Devin Booker is not going to get traded. He's here. Chris Paul, likely, you likely wouldn't find a team to take him anyway, so he's here. But I like having him here, so it's not a problem. With those three pieces in, they're all expensive. Durant is very expensive. Very. And yet, I heard Gambo say the other day, a better talk show host would have pulled the sound of this, I heard Gambo say the other day that Robert Sarver is willing to go deep into the luxury tax. We're talking 60, 70, 80 Maybe even a hundred million dollars extra to pay just to bring that team together. The possibility of Durant, Booker, Paul, and Aiton. And you'd probably fill out the rest of the roster with veteran minimum guys. That's surprising because Sarver has never done that before. They got rid of Joe Johnson, they got rid of Amari Stoudemire, eventually Nash goes away. They didn't want to keep that team together and pay the luxury tax. Why would they do it now? And I think there's one big reason why Robert Sarver would do that, and it has nothing to do with basketball. Oh, really? What's the one thing we've been waiting for with the Suns for months? We've been waiting. For months. For months. We knew about this long before DeAndre Ayton was talked about, long before Kevin Durant requested a trade. We've known that it's coming, and it still hasn't. The ESPN article. Oh, you're right. About Robert Sarver, the culture within the Suns organization. Or rather, a result of the investigation is what we're still waiting The, the investigation that, that the NBA is doing. For the record, I've been fairly unimpressed 
with the details that have been leaked along the way by ESPN? I mean, they say it's going to be this big thing, right? And that the the big ramifications. They've got got something new every two weeks or so, but then there's nothing new. But they haven't brought any actual receipts so far. And listen, I'm not hoping for bad details in that report. Mm -mm. I would never hope for that. No. But that's what we all kind of were led to believe is coming, right? Some bad news about the Suns organization. Maybe something as dramatic uh, that might force Robert Sarver out. Right. That's a possibility. I'm not saying I'm hoping for it, and I'm not saying it's going to happen, but that's a possibility we've all been aware of. Right. If that's the case, and if you're Sarver, and you're even remotely worried about possibly being forced out of your organization, wouldn't you want to have the most valuable player in the league, possibly, in Kevin Durant. Wouldn't you want to have one of the biggest possible distractions, diversions, something that takes all the attention off you for who knows how long? It's not about attention. I'm talking about dollars. Dollar-dollar bills, y'all. I'm talking about what's more valuable to an organization if you're going to sell. I'm not saying he's going to, but what's more valuable if if you are? A big-name player. Your 2029 first-round pick or Kevin Durant? Kevin Durant would make this organization more valuable this second if he got traded here. I'll use an example. You think that the Broncos were far more valuable before they had Russell Wilson or after? Much more valuable after. Because that trade and that new sale happened all within this offseason. So if if it leads to a point where a new sale of the Phoenix Suns comes, yeah, Booker's good, Paul's good, Aiton's good. The organization's worth a lot more now than it was 10 years ago, by but the way. But Durant makes it beyond right. desirable. Right. So why would you be willing to pay $100 million into the luxury tax? Probably because if you do that now, there's a chance that your organization is now worth far more extra than $100 million. You see what I'm saying? So even after all this, Robert Sarver's going to make a ton of money? Uh, Is that what I'm hearing? Listen, he's a businessman first, right? And Uh, He started a great local bank here in Arizona. And he's been getting out of some of his other endeavors Mm -hmm. recently. I'm not saying that suggests anything, but, I mean, who's to say that he's a businessman? Forget about the article. Forget about whatever comes out of this ESPN or the investigation and all of that. Forget about that for a second. He is a businessman. It is in his best interest to increase the value of his assets, one of which, the key piece of his assets, is the Phoenix Suns. And if you're the owner, you look at the situation and say, I can pay $100 million right now and give up these first-round picks that mean almost nothing to me. How many of their first-round picks in the last 10 years increased the value of the organization? Have De- they even Devin had Booker. any first-round picks in recent years? Devin Booker. Because the only one that's still here is DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges. Yeah. Like, as far as, like, recent, recent. But I'm talking about guys that fundamentally increase the value of your organization. Oh, I think Devin Booker. Aiton and McCall are good players, don't get me wrong. But Booker changed the, the direction of the organization. Not 100%, those guys. 100%. So if I'm Robert Sarver and I'm thinking about the value of my business, I'm thinking Durant is so much more valuable than those picks that you're going to give away or Landry Shamit or Jay Crowder or what Mikel Bridges even, if you have to include him in a deal, or Cam Johnson. This is a business play. And again, I'm not hoping that something horrific is coming in an ESPN article. No, I'm not no, hoping no, 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 that no. there's bad details, and I'm not saying that there is, because I'm honestly telling you I've been underwhelmed by what ESPN has leaked so far. It, it, it's pretty how, much a nothing burger so this? far. Since the main 
article was released by ESPN. There hasn't been any revelation. There's been a couple of high-named employees of the Suns stepping down. Uh, ownership members have taken their stances on this issue. We know there's at least one that's divergent from the rest. But other than that, there's no resolution. And Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, keeps saying, oh, we're nearing that point. Or we're getting close. Right. We're almost getting there. Here's here's the truth, too. Robert Sarver knows what happened. Whether it's bad, really bad, not so bad, nothing at all. He knows. He knows what, what happened, the culture that he built and all those things. He knows that. He might be worried about it. He might not be worried about it at all. But no matter what... He's thinking about the value of the Phoenix Suns as an organization, whether he's forced to sell, uh, voluntarily sells in the near future or holds on to them long term. He's thinking about the overall value of the organization. And Kevin Durant adds significant value way more than whatever you would have to give up to get him. That must suck That's to be Brooklyn, the reason, then, right? In you have to way? sell off that massive asset into what could be another selling point for a team that has gone through a lot of ownership the past few years. Well, it sucks to be told by that level of player that he no longer wants to be around. Especially after he just committed for another four years. Forget about the difficulty of trying to trade him. You're never going to get equal value for no. Kevin Durant. No. Not really. Not even with any of the picks that eventually come your way. But the most painful part already happened. Him walking into that office, or more realistically his agent, putting in a phone call and saying, Kevin no longer wants to be here. Please trade him. That's the hard part. Now the Nets already know they're not getting value. They know that already. So now it's just a matter of pulling the trigger or not pulling the trigger. And how much money is Sarver willing to spend in order to increase his revenue? I hope that Gambo's right. I hope Sarver really is ready to do that. And by the way, he might just spend all that money just to get rid of the narrative that he won't. Because well, that's been the story all like along, right? years in the making then, isn't right. it? Maybe he just wants to shed that, that narrative around him that he's unwilling to spend what it takes to win a championship. Maybe it's ticked him off so much that you and I and other hosts have sat here in this studio and talked about how he will not pay what it takes to get a championship. And that Joe Lacob is over on the West Coast and he's willing to pay whatever it takes to win championships. He just got another one. Literally spending whatever it takes. So maybe Sarver, maybe that's enough to encourage him to sign Durant or bring Durant in and pay all that money. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It certainly helps your image, which is not in a great place right now. Coming up next, we're just two weeks away from training camp for the Arizona Cardinals. Will their star quarterback be there? Will their star center be there? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports goes local. It's Arizona Sports Saturday, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Mitch Vereldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Trevor Henry behind the glass, back here with you on this Arizona Sports Saturday. Turning away from Suns for just a moment. Just a moment, I promise. Because training camp for the Arizona Cardinals is just a couple of weeks away, and there's still a lot on the Cardinals' plate that needs to get resolved. First and foremost, the quarterback and the salary. That's been an ongoing battle. It's been ongoing, but it's, you know... It's in the word, ongoing, and it is still going. So, what do we know? Well, 
We might have gotten a little bit of a hint from ESPN's Jeff Darlington two days ago. Talking to General Manager Steve Keim in recent days, he said that he does still hope for a deal to get done before training camp and that talks are going very smooth. Um, that's a really good sign. Like you said, things had gone sideways in February. And Kaim had told me even then that, look, these things take time. Most of these big deals are very nuanced, and the quarterback deals usually get done in the summer. And here we are, mid-July, and I think that uh, the Arizona Cardinals feel confident that they'll get the deal done. Hopefully Kyler feels the same. Of course, it takes two to tango. But for right now, I think we should continue to expect a deal to get done and for Kyler Murray to start training camp. No problem with the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, so there's a couple of ways that you could take the cut, or basically there are two ways that I'm taking that cut. It's going smoothly. All right, cool. That makes me feel a lot better than I did back in February when our quarterback's agent is sending out all caps, very long, single-space demands. By the way, that's all things going smooth from the Cardinals' perspective. Because he said, spoke to Steve Kime. That was part two that I was going to bring up is hopefully Kyler feels the same. It's hidden in towards the end of that soundbite, but now you know who Jeff Tarlington is talking to. Yeah, He's not talking to Kyler Murray. Side. Right. That's that's an interesting admission that he basically said, well, I found out what Steve Kime feels. I have no clue what the other side feels. Here's how why I feel confident, though, because, yes, we do know in this clip that uh, this is from the Cardinals' perspective. Things are going smoothly. If things were going badly from the card uh, from uh, Kyler's perspective and his agent, I think we would have heard from them by now. If the Cardinals were lowballing or stalling or not putting an offer on the table at all, right. because the last time that they didn't get what they wanted, they made it very clear by Eric Burkhart coming out publicly and putting out that letter and complaining about other players around the league getting paid and not his guy. I don't even think I've seen anything from Eric Burkhart recently no i i went to his twitter account the other day uh i was just looking to see if he had said anything recent and uh most of his tweets i mean there's a couple sprinkled in you know and family vacation pictures and stuff which is totally cool yeah that's the last Um, one i see yeah but there it didn't take me long to scroll down to the letter put it to you that way and the stuff that he was saying about Devontae adams Derek carr Kirk cousins all that stuff right Mm -hmm. so my point is I feel confident in their discussions because we're not hearing anything from the Kyler side saying that they're going poorly. And I think we would by now if they were getting lowballed. Which that's is interesting. a guess, but I, that's how I feel. Which is interesting because when a lot of these quarterback contracts got done, so Rodgers' new extension, Derek Carr's new extension, Kirk Cousins' adjustment of his current contract, but he's still getting paid $30 million a year, there was a lot of tension from the Kyler Murray party. And now we're at a point where that's several months past, and we haven't heard a peep, no. really, from either side. I think that's a good thing, though, because because things were so publicly out there in February at a time when the Cardinals clearly didn't want to do a deal. Like, they, they were actively avoiding signing their quarterback early in the offseason because it's just despite unprecedented. Ev- despite everything they were saying that, oh, they were going to get it done, and they just don't usually happen now. Well, first of all, why does it matter when it happens if you want to do it? Are you just waiting out the market? Because you know what you've done as the Cardinals? You've waited out the market so long that Kyler Murray is probably pricing you further out of the range that you were expecting to pay him. Yeah, there's an argument to be made that they should have done it earlier. They should have done it before all these other guys got done. Yeah. If you knew you were going to do it, and you said publicly that it's something you want to get done, and you'd feel stupid for letting him go, well, then why haven't you done anything? You know, funny you say that. 
I always like to think of stories in context of what would I ask the person involved? What would I ask Kyler Murray if he was on the show today? What would I ask Steve Kime if he was on the show today? What would I ask Steve Kime the day after a deal does get signed between the two sides? And, and I think what you just said is what I would ask. Do you regret not signing Kyler at the beginning of the offseason when his agent was most vocal about it because you waited which is what all teams have ever done. That's that's the precedent, is that they wait until deep into the summer. You waited, and all these other guys got massive deals that you just listed, and you probably cost yourself more money from the organization to Kyler because of it. Do you regret doing that? And I think that's one of the top questions I'll have for Steve Kime. Do you want a tinfoil hat theory for a second? I love it. What if Eric Burkhart... And the Cardinals or the Kyler Murray side of this coin was the reason that all these other quarterbacks got paid at all. So let me explain. Kyler Murray does the Instagram scrubbing, which yeah, is sign number, about that. Which was sign number one. Sign number two is the statement. Okay. And then all the reporting, Gambo's been working very hard on that story when it was fresh, right? It wasn't until after that point that all these other quarterbacks started getting paid. So I wonder if those agents were using Kyler Murray's agent screaming for attention, let's say, as a leverage play to say, oh, well, Kyler Murray wants to get paid. And we know that our guy is so much better than that guy. I see where you're going. I... I, I I see where you're going, but at the same time, this will be my pushback. I think as a quarterback, NFL player, athlete in general looking for a contract, I think you have more leverage when the other guy signs a deal. I think you have more leverage if you're, I don't remember the order that the contracts were signed in, but as as Kirk Cousins, I think you have more leverage after Aaron Rodgers signs his deal, after sure. Derek Carr gets his deal. Sure. I think you get more leverage as a player after somebody makes their money because then you can go to your employer your team and say hey that guy got x and i'm better than him or hey that guy got x and i'm comparable to him well, as opposed it. to hey he's waiting to get paid you should pay me first we saw it with you the know wide, what i mean we saw it with the wide receiver market this offseason too we thought that christian kirk got a lot of money yeah oh well scratch that Devonte adams got traded and he got a lot of money right oh well scratch that because tyreek hill got traded and he got a ton of money they kept the, setting the new mark. And the Dallas Cowboys are probably like, holy crap, we got screwed in the Samari Cooper trade, didn't yeah, what, we? Yeah, what did we get, like a fourth-round pick? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> or whatever it was? I can't remember, honestly. Like, at the going rate of wide receivers, the Cleveland Browns fleeced the entire market compared to what Devontae Adams' value was, compared to what Tyreek Hill's value was. I mean, yeah, heck, even Christian Kirk's value. Uh, I'm going to kind of take a pivot here for a second, but we were talking about Will we see Kyler Murray at training camp? I still feel pretty confident that they're going to work out a deal and that they're going to get it done before training camp. That's just my my feelings. I don't yeah. have inside info on that. I just feel that. I do not feel nearly as confident about the Rodney Hudson situation. Especially when the Cardinals' social media team doesn't want to acknowledge him. Oh, yeah. What happened this week? So, a few days ago, they were 60 days away from kickoff, officially. Right. And countdown so, type yeah, thing. It's the, it's, it's the countdown graphic. Like, here comes the regular season. And they've got four of the starting O-line members. Justin Pugh, Will Hernandez, Kelvin Beecham. DJ. DJ. 
That's four. But you don't think it's pretty obvious that the guy who stands in the middle of those four is not there? Is his jersey number 60? 61. 61, okay. So like they could have they did, posted him on day they, 61. Even if they did the countdown day the day before, which, by the way, was Rodney Hudson's birthday, oh. and they didn't acknowledge him, oh. but they acknowledged my Jay Sanders. Look at you, Mitch. This is not a diss. Reading at, into the social this media. This is not a diss at my Jay Sanders, by the way. He deserves his birthday. And then the very next day, Lasita Smith got his birthday post. But not Rodney Hudson. But not Rodney Hudson. So... We still don't know what the situation is. Is he retiring? Is he demanding a trade? Does he not want to be here? I, is he Malcolm Butlering? So I read a tweet the other day. I wish I remembered where I saw this. But somebody suggested that if Rodney Hudson retired, the Cardinals would then have approximately $20 million in cap space. Which is great and everything. Like, cap space can be helpful, certainly. You'd rather have it than not have it in the NFL. Unless you're wearing the cap. But then you have no center... Well, at least no starting center. You're nope. missing your... I, I think he's a top five center easily, if not the best center in the league. And, oh, by the way, you still don't have Chandler Jones. I know that they've gone through other avenues to try to replace him. They're two young guys who got drafted. They've brought in a couple of free agents. But ultimately, $20 million in cap space doesn't really do you a lot of good this far into free agency. Most of the good players are gone. The really good players you could spend $20 million on mm-hmm. are gone. Cap space is great and everything, but I'd rather not be duped by my star center and I find out he wants to retire a month or two into free agency. I don't remember when free agency started, but it's just such bad timing. And I realize as a player, you have to retire whenever it feels right for you. If that's what's even happening here, I don't know. And even if it is contract dispute related, he's still covered for the next this year and then two more years. And at 10 million, that's a pretty good premium for a star center. Is it not? That's not a bad deal. Especially when all of your other linemen are not under contract after this season. Like, Rodney Hudson's it. And now, you might be at a point where you can't guarantee any of your starting O-line for next season. It's a pretty dark place to be in right before training camp, is it not? Well, and I was thinking about it, too. Like, I've been stuck on the Chandler Jones thing. I like Marcus Golden a lot on the outside. I think he led the team in sacks last year, if I remember correctly. Sounds about right. But does he do that without Chandler Jones on the other side? Drawing attention, drawing I mean, double teams. I mean, heck, does Chandler Jones get five sacks in week one if J.J. Watt isn't on the other side? And I feel good about having J.J. Watt back. But I, I just don't feel good about this defense right now. There's so many questions at every level. I, I, I don't feel good about the cornerback situation. I don't think either of their top two guys are top-tier corners. Uh, if not for Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson, I don't like that secondary at all. I don't feel good about a lot of this team. The middle linebacker situation, they're two first-round picks, which means they're talented, but neither of them have a ton of experience. They haven't panned out. The defensive line, like I mentioned, you gave away one of the best pass rushers of the last 10 to 15 years in Chandler Jones and didn't really replace him with anything other than a couple of rookies, which hopefully they're good, but I, I don't expect them to be Chandler Jones. And now on the offensive side of the ball, the side of the ball that you can rely on, in Arizona, you just lost your most talented offensive lineman. Doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good at all. Coming up next. But at least we have cap space. Yeah. Got plenty of cap space. Kevin 20, Dur- 20 million. Kevin Durant has requested out of Brooklyn. But could he be swayed back to the Big Apple? No. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Arizona Sports Saturday. Hey, thanks for checking out Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve Zinsmeister, Mitch Vareldis with you leading up to 1 o'clock. The biggest story, it's the one on everybody's mind, is Kevin Durant. Is he com- coming to Phoenix or what? Kevin Durant, you've heard of him. He's uh, NBA superstar Kevin Durant. You've heard of him. You know him. You love him. And uh, there are actually some people that believe he just might be a Brooklyn Net again next year. It's possible. I, I think that a lot of people seem to think, you know, the Suns don't have the assets to get him, which is maybe true. Uh, they're going to have a hard time finding third or fourth teams to get involved in the trade, which also might be true. Can we tangent off at that point just really quick? Yeah, go for it. Because the discussion about getting Kevin Durant to Phoenix now seems to be centered around, oh, well, they probably have to find a third team because it's going to be pretty difficult. Were we not already talking about trying to get extra teams involved before DeAndre Ayton had his offer sheet matched? Like, why is this now a different conversation? I get it. I I think it's slightly changed by the fact that most of those three or four team trades that you saw had Ayton leaving Phoenix, going somewhere else, and then them sending assets back to Brooklyn. Sure. So obviously that leg of a three or four team trade can no longer be done. Okay. It's one of your key assets you had to move out can no longer be moved out. I think it's just interesting that now an emphasis has been heavier on, oh, they need a third team or a fourth team, when even before Aiton was matched, the Suns probably needed a third or a fourth team to get this done. Yeah. At least based off of all the speculation. They might need a lot of teams to get involved in that. Continue. The biggest wrinkle that I think a lot of people aren't talking about is Kevin Durant could blow this all up himself if he just had a change of heart. Wouldn't that be funny, by the way? I mean, it's possible, right? That Kevin Durant... I, oh, I know, it's totally possible. I know he asked for the trade. I know that he mentioned he wanted to be in Phoenix. I'm sure that he would probably be okay in South Beach, too. <laughs> I'm sure that Miami oh, wouldn't be yes. the end of the world, right? Gorgeous for him. I actually feel better about Miami's chances of getting him than Phoenix. Because they can probably get away with one for one. Maybe. I mean, they also have the wrinkle of they can't give up their center either. In a one-for-one one to Brooklyn. They can't send Bam out of bio. Unless it involves Ben Simmons. Yeah, because Ben Simmons and Bam are both, uh, what's that rule called? They're signed to the rookie max extensions or whatever? Yes. So you can't have two of them on the team acquired by trade. Simmons was acquired by trade. Yep. Bam would be acquired by trade, so you can't do that. Correct. So essentially, Miami can't send Bam to Brooklyn. But Kevin could blow this whole thing up and just decide to go back to Brooklyn. I don't know what it would take to encourage him to do that, though. Well, so how about this? Two cuts from Nick Friedel. He's with ESPN. He covers the Brooklyn Nets primarily and said, there's going to be two angles that I'm presenting here. One is that the Nets, they don't want to give up Kevin Durant. They'd love to run it back with Kevin. Where I get stuck, having been around that team the last few months and, and, and watched all the destruction that occurred behind the scenes, is whether or not they would run it back with Kyrie. That's where I think the Nets have an issue, and this ties exactly into what Brian was saying. The question here is twofold. One, would Durant actually come back to Brooklyn? Two, would he come back to Brooklyn without Kyrie? That is what only he knows right now, and at some point he's going to have to convey to the Nets. And he even goes on to say that he thinks that the Nets might be well off 
if they have to move away from Kyrie. If he would, I think that's Brooklyn's dream scenario to start the season because John Marks talked about the culture they want to grab back. If you deal Kyrie to L.A. or anywhere else and you start the season with Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Joe Harris, and that strong core that's in place, you've got a chance. But I have a tough time believing that Kevin and Kyrie will be there to start next season. Yeah, but big elephant in the room. What are you getting back for Kyrie? Because as far as we know, there's only one, maybe two teams that are even interested in Kyrie, and that's the Los Angeles Lakers and the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks have been very skittish about it. Let's be real. It's only one. Okay, so let's let's run with that. How about this? It's probably going to involve another team because the only reason that the Lakers would make this trade is to replace the current point guard that they have. Bingo. Russell Westbrook, and you can't bring him back to Brooklyn. That's not going to encourage Kevin Durant to come back. No. Hey, no, by the no. way, we got your old buddy Russell Westbrook. Come on back. You know, the, remember no. the reason that you wanted out of OKC all those years ago? Yeah, we got him. Also, Ben Simmons is a distributor. Uh, he does a little bit more ben than Simmons that, but he's a can't good distributor. Shoot. He can't shoot. Ben Simmons can't shoot. So you can't pair him with Russell Westbrook because guess what? Russell he can't Westbrook shoot either. Can't shoot. You can't have a team of bunch of guys who can't shoot and Kevin Durant. Well, okay. So there's one team that it worked for, but they also just played really good defense, and as a result, their offense was able to make up for it, and that was the Pistons of like the 4 5 iteration. There weren't a ton of great shooters. Well, they had Rick Hamilton. Rip, he was Rip, a pretty good shooter. Rip was a good three shooter, but outside of that, it was known for its Prince defense. It was wasn't known not for, a great shooter. It wasn't known for its top players, right? Chauncey was a good shooter, right? The point that I'm getting at is you can't build a team of basketball players that can't play basketball. There's, If you're going to have a player like that, you have to be able to supplement it with a player who is amazing at it. For instance, the 08 Celtics. 08, 09? I can't remember what year they were. The, the KG, Pierce, yes. Ray Allen, 08. You have Rajon Rondo, one of the best point guards of the last 10 to 15 years, no doubt about it. One of the best distributors the game has seen this century. Mm-hmm. Cannot shoot. No. But you had Ray Allen, who at the time was the greatest shooter of all time. And you had Paul Pierce, who's probably a, I don't know, I'm just guessing, top 15 shooter of all time. I mean, one of the best wing shooters of this decade, the last two decades. So you were able to supplement that. In L.A., Russell Westbrook, the idea was, even though you had Russell Westbrook, you had LeBron, who's a pretty good shooter. I wouldn't say he's been the greatest three-point shooter in his career, but he's gotten a lot better at it over his time. And Anthony Davis, pretty good shooter. And then you surround them with decent guys. At one point, uh, well, not when Westbrook was there, but they had uh, KCP and they've had other shooters, certainly. They had a much better defense. Yeah. If you're going to have a player like that, you surround them with shooters, which I guess is what Brooklyn would be doing with Curry. Seth Curry, by the way. Curry and Joe Harris. Curry's a really good shooter. Joe Harris is one of the best three-point shooters the league has seen in the last couple of years. Like Again, to my point from back towards the top, Brooklyn doesn't want to just throw things away because they have nothing to recoup if they throw anything away. All of their main draft picks are gone. They'd have to acquire draft picks in a trade. So honestly, if if you're the Nets, if you're Sean Marks and Joe Sy, you're looking at your team saying, saying, wait a minute, we've got Kevin Durant here, and he wants out? But we've got him for the next four years, and he's going to make us a competitive team year in and year out. You can't have him. We're not right. letting him go. We spent all this 
asset. Let's we we spent James. We spent all these picks to get James Harden, and then we spent James Harden to get Ben Simmons. We're we're done. We're done cowering to your demands. You listen to us now. You're a part of this team. You've claimed you want to be a part of this team. You're going to be here, and you're going to like it. But if there's one thing that we can do to make you happy, we'll get rid of the nuisance. Yeah, but but here's the thing. And you said it there, and Nick Ferdell said it earlier. The ideal situation for them, for them, for the Nets, is to get rid of Kyrie and bring back KD. But here's the thing. What are you getting for Kyrie that encourages Kevin Durant? I can't imagine a scenario because, again, if the it's, Lakers the only team that will take Kyrie, that means Westbrook goes, whether it's to Brooklyn or to another team, and you get something from that team. What is that? What I, is that asset I, that makes Kevin Durant feel good about going back to Brooklyn? I don't think it's getting anything back as much as it is getting off of Kyrie Irving. So you just lose Kyrie and expect KD to be like, okay, now I'm good. Well, you just put Ben Simmons at point. You don't have to do much. Like... The Suns' comparison is, we kind of forgot, but Dario Saric is coming back. That's like a free, free agent, was I saw how somebody phrased it on Twitter. Kind of. Dario Saric is a free, free agent for the Suns. Joe Harris is a free, free agent for Brooklyn, because he missed all last year. You don't need to replace Kyrie. You have the pieces already. And Kevin Durant was carrying the team anyway. He just needed consistent hoopers to play with him. And Kyrie was not that. You know who would have been good teammates for Kevin Durant in Brooklyn? Who? Spencer Dinwiddie and James Harden. Oh, that's funny. Oh. Both of them went farther in the playoffs, by Look the way. at you. Dagger right in the side of the stomach. Just saying. Don't trade away your best players. That's their biggest mistake. Coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Let's just say that Kevin Durant is off the table. Let's say it's not even a possibility for the Suns. So what should they do tomorrow if it's not him? How do you make this team better? We're going to discuss that next.